You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace radio show. Thank you for joining us today. Through these radio shows, our goal is to share insights and information on trending topics impacting the world of work and careers in the 21st century. To do that, we invite experts and thought leaders to be our guests. And after tuning in, we want you, our listeners, to walk away having learned something new and better equipped to future-proof your organization and career. This is Morag Barrett, partner at Sky Team and best-selling author of Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships, as well as co-author with Dr. Linda Sharkey of The Future Proof Workplace. Linda is currently working in London this week with a major manufacturing uh, company, and so I am hosting the show, and I am really thrilled to be joined by my friend and colleague, Jill Johnson. Hi, Jill. Hi, Jill. How are you? I was about to sing your praises and let people know who you are. So, Jill is the president and founder of Johnson Consulting Services, a management consulting firm specializing in strategy development. Jill has personally impacted more than $4 billion worth of business decisions. Yep, you heard that right. $4 billion worth of business decisions for clients located throughout the United States as well as in Europe and Asia. She's a two-time Hall of Business Hall of Fame inductee and received numerous honors for her business acumen, leadership savvy, mentoring impact, and entrepreneurial success. She's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Money Magazine, Inc. and, and Success, and obviously now on the Future Proof Workplace radio show. And Jill is a sought-after consultant, thought-provoking speaker who shares her insights on critical market forces and skills needed to thrive in today's complex business environment. Phew, Jill, wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you've done a bit. You know a bit about business. Is that what that means? Just a touch, just a touch. Well, I'm so honored to be here on your show today, and I'm really excited because I think this this topic and and the things that we can do and offer to help shape perspective and, and make people more impactful in the work they do is just, it's what I get up in the morning for. Okay, well, I am looking forward to our conversation, and we're going to be going big picture and having some fun along the way. But, you know, I just outlined there $4 billion worth of business decisions that you've helped impact, Hall of Fame, Business Hall of Fame inductee, numerous honors. I mean, that's the today, Jill. Help us understand. It's a, I'm sure it's a windy path. How did you get to where you are today? And <laughs> what got you started in your career as a management consultant? Well, when I, uh, I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur and I grew up in a family owned business. So as a little kid um, working, you know, my father owned a small auto body repair shop in the small town that I grew up in. And he and my mother were very focused on building a business that was successful. At the time, my mom was an executive secretary at the 3M World headquarters um, in nearby St. Paul. So I really was surrounded by 
the the best of both worlds, this entrepreneurial perspective about the work you do and the quality of work and how that impacts your community with a mother who in any other era would have been president of a division at 3M. She was just an extremely savvy uh, business mind. And so they were, were very instrumental in just introducing me to the concept of business. But one of the things that my mother insisted on, and it was not negotiable with her, was that I be a participant in the, in the Junior Achievement Program. And at that time, JA had a company forum set up. So you sold stock and you manufactured mm-hmm. a product and you sold it and then you liquidated your company at the end of the year. And as part of that, they had a significant number of competitions, both at the state and the national level. And I was um, one of the top achievers in the St. Paul Junior Achievement Program. And the summer before, uh, after I graduated from high school, I was preparing for the national competition. And I received a call from a friend of mine out of the Chicago JA program who said, Jill, you've got to get down here for a meeting I have set up. I think it'll be really helpful for you in your preparation. So I got my mother to agree to let me go to Chicago. And that meeting was with a man by the name of Robert Cardinal, who was a management consultant. And back in that era, back in the late 70s, you know, today the, the the word consultant, you know, everybody in your hairdresser and the guy who sells you your next car is a consultant. But mm-hmm. back then, you, only the people with the most savvy business expertise were admitted to the profession of consulting. And as I sat in that two-hour lunch meeting listening to him talk about what he did, the impact he made, I walked out of there going, that's what I'm going to be. And Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> and I've since tracked him down, so he and I are still in touch all these years later. But it was the only, <laughs> time, I, it was the only time I ever met him, and it, it transformed my entire life. So. So what was it then about that two-hour conversation that really lit that fire inside you that said, I want to be that? I think for me, it was the complexity of the problem solving, the certainly the working in a lot of different environments rather than just being in in one enterprise and the diversity of people that he worked with. Um, all of those things, even at the age of 18, were very appealing to me. And because of the business background that I'd had, Growing up with my with the influence of my parents and then the impact of, of junior achievement. And to give you some perspective, I was doing Harvard Business Review case studies for fun at the age of 16. <laughs> okay. Uh, so so I was a bit of an unusual uh, child prodigy, perhaps. And but I loved every aspect of it. And so as Bob Cardinal talked about the impact that a consultant could have with the objective insight and and perspective, that really for me was it. The, The real challenge was then figuring out how to find a way into the profession of consulting because at that, in that era, Young women didn't go into business school. Um, it wasn't a natural career or an, or an easily opened career path. And so, you know, I, I was able through a variety of networking opportunities and a heck of a lot of diligence um, when I completed, was working on my master's degree in business administration. I was able to parlay that into working with the small business development centers, which offered consulting services to distressed businesses uh, in Iowa. 
30 years later, 25 years later, I ended up on the federal board that advised a cabinet member of the administration uh, of three different or uh, two different administrations on, on, on the issues relating to that particular program. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a full circle. And then from there, networked with a, a local consulting firm that had an international practice and eventually ended up working in one of the consulting divisions for one of the world's largest public accounting firms. And at the time, they had one of the 20 largest management consulting practices in the world. So I, I learned the the skills of consulting um, as a junior and, and built the business for, uh, when I left there, which is now 30 years old. Wow. So a bit of a child prodigy. So bonus question here then. We sure. often get asked about leadership and leaders. Are they born or made? Mm. So management consultants, born or made? You know, I think it's a combination of both. A, a really solid management consultant will have um, – you know, good technical expertise, you know, you've got the ability to to study a problem and solve it, but there's an art to it. And I and I think you have to be able to use listening skills, a lot of probing questions, um, looking at diverse and divergent information, understand who's lying to you and who's telling you the truth, mm. seeing the different political agendas that are at play, and then if you're for me in the planning arena, I have to be able to meld that all together and find the pathway that can can bring the group through the either the business turnaround or um, the sweet spot to to find the opportunity. In fact, this morning I, I'm working on a workforce initiative within our state for the construction industry, and um, I have a meeting set up with somebody from the University of Minnesota. And as I was looking at the background information, I realized that all, everything was tying together. I had done a strategic plan back in 2009 for a different group. And one of the um, key initiatives became the program that this guy has the job in now. And and so he doesn't have any idea of that. So when we meet, we'll be able to share. But, but you know, when, when you look at, at, at people who, you know, put their shingle out as a management consultant, many of them are people who are between jobs or think it's an easy profession. I finally wrote a white paper um, that's on my website about, you know, pulling the curtain back and what does it take to, to build a management management consulting practice that lasts more than 12 to 18 months, yes. which, is, which is the cycle that most people go through. Um, I think it's only something like 5% survive 10 years. And I've been making my living for over 35 years as a management consultant. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, you've got to earn the trust, not only of the leader who's going to hire you, but if you're effective, you have to find a way to navigate and build trust and relationships with, with teams that you're often for me, I'm often giving really ugly news to. Um, I'm I'm calling out bad decisions that were made, but it's in how you do that. And so there's a, a real art, I think, to be an effective consultant. It's not just being able to intellectually do the work. You have in order to get results, you really have to find a way to to navigate the human side of of that work environment. And with diverse clients, you're never truly part of their team. You are you are advising their team. But I think a lot of consultants forget some of the boundaries. Um, mm -hmm. And I think because a lot of them are honestly looking for a, a job. And yes. so 
it's a stepping stone in. I, I'm one phone call away from the next client that I'm going to impact. So I'm, you know, I never know where it's coming from. So, so tell me a little bit more about your ideal clients, because you mentioned earlier the distressed businesses. It sounds like there is an element of forensic accounting in terms of the areas you've worked in and also the future strategic direction that an organization or an industry needs to take. So what's your ideal project client? Sure. Well, one thing to clarify is, is even though I worked for an accounting firm, I am not an accountant. So I don't typically get involved in, in grinding down through any of the accounting or the, the deep finance related pieces. The areas that I focus in on are things that touch the revenue line of the financials. And I exclusively work in the service sector. So I'm working with, um, I'd have a very extensive practice in the healthcare arena. Um, I, and, and but I also work with other um, service-related organizations that often touch complex issues or complex business segments. So that can be financial services, it can be um, government agencies that are really dealing with some difficult dynamics. You've got uh, I have a deep and extensive practice with trade associations and sophisticated nonprofits. And for fun, occasionally I'll work with sophisticated entrepreneurs that are that have a really significant emphasis of service. Um, so I'm often dealing with uh, companies where it's the intellect of the individuals who work for them that is what is being sold or that is a, a significant component of the, the value add or the differentiator within the marketplace. But healthcare is, a, is an arena that I have an extensive background in, in particular working with the provider side. And that's mm -hmm. everything from hospital strategic plans to working with all elements and aspects of senior living and senior services. So you're really dealing with complex decisions, complex payment structures. Um, you have market forces of all sorts that are influencing the business that the client or the enterprise has absolutely no control over, but that fundamentally alter and determine whether or not they'll survive. And so those are the, the ideal clients that I have are, are really involved again in the in that service arena, you know, or a trade association that often works in that. And then I think there's some elements within the prospective client. Um, I am not the consultant that you call if you want me to parakeet some party line and mm. me as a way to try and build agenda within the enterprise based on something that somebody else has already decided. Where I'm best suited is to when the board or the executive team or the CEO knows that something is significantly wrong. Um, usually there's a telltale sign like revenues have stalled. Um, there's a ton of employee turnover. There's some red flag or deep yellow amber warning light that's coming through. And, and what they want to know is what is really going on. Um, there have been times when I've been brought in for enterprises at, when we get in and do the deep dive. And, you know, again, we're looking at competitor intelligence. We're looking at market demographic data. We're doing deep, deep dives on their customer revenue data to, to look for trends and patterns and shifts and changes. And, and as you meld that all together with, again, that external market intel, it, it becomes sometimes for clients a significant drama when they when we're having to tell them 
how much the world around them has changed and that they are now at an extinction level situation. And, and at that point, then they may need to make um, millions of dollars of investment to either retro retrofit an existing building. They may have to build a new community or a new facility. Um, they may have to do deeper training and deployment of their key team members. Um, oftentimes, we have to renovate and, and re-examine aspects of customer service. So when we secret shop their competition, we secret shop them too. <laughs> and and um, oftentimes, we have difficult things to share with the clients because their teams have gotten very complacent. And nobody wants to work hard enough or they just assume that the clients will keep coming to to their organization. But yet when you have competitors who are actively competing and frankly very successful at it, all of a sudden you can, can do that. Sometimes we'll get involved in pricing evaluations, um, particularly for those elements of clients where they have the ability to set their prices. Oftentimes we'll find there's a significant imp- mismatch between the pricing strategy that's being deployed because the chief financial officer or the chief accountant said, well, let's increase prices by 5% per year, but nobody's bothered to look at how does that limit the market potential for the clients that they can now serve. And frequently we get into those kinds of things mm-hmm. um, in market opportunity analysis where we, we have to tell the client you're no longer feasible based on the, the parameters that you've now created in the market or that some of the turnarounds are involved with where the original market study was just crap. Yep. <laughs> and, oh. and it was and it was never right from the beginning. I had I had two of those earlier this year. Um, you know, and both were were being. You know, a lot of the clients I work with are very sophisticated operators, but yes, they 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 the external previous external consultants did quick and dirty. They they wrote studies that were just for financing and they weren't really based on, is this feasible? And so, you know, we always ask the question, is it marketing or is it market? And oftentimes it's market. So well, let's explore a bit more of that when we come back. We're about to go to a break, Jill. So you're listening to the Future Proof Workplace Radio Show. My guest this week is Jill Johnson, president and founder of Johnson Consulting Services, an award-winning Uh, management consultant with two business hall of fame inductee opportunities and has influenced nearly four billion dollars worth of business decisions so when we come back from break we'll be exploring more with jill and learning how she's sharing some of her wisdom through her books stay with us ever wondered if your career will last will your job be around in 10 years five years or even tomorrow The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. Thank you for staying with us. This is the Future Proof Workplace Radio Show, and this is Morag Barrett, uh, co-author of the Future Proof and 
the future-proof workplace book. I don't know. I lost what I was saying there. And my guest this week is the fabulous Jill Johnson, president and founder of Johnson Consulting Services. And before the break, Jill, you were sharing some of the projects, the complex and strategic projects that you have worked on in your 30 plus years of experience. And I know that you are now starting to share that experience through the books that you've published and that you have four Bold Questions, the four-book series that's filled with key concepts and questions that any of us can ask and, more importantly, answer to help shape our thinking. So can you describe for us what is the bold approach that you use for consulting and speaking? Well, for me, um, the content that I typically am involved in really revolves around four key areas. So one is elements relating to the business strategy. And because strategy is so tied into revenue, you really need to look at the market opportunities. So you have the mm-hmm. O for opportunities. There are elements of, of how then it gets delivered and managed within the client setting. So we're looking at leadership effectiveness. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, it's making the tough decisions. And so if you think about it, that's spells bold, B-O-L-D. And it's the intersection of all of those components. And I had been working with a client on an extinction level situation where their team, um, their mid-level team, it was a multi-site operator that had one particular division that was basically carrying financially the responsibility for everybody else. And so the other sites and other communities within that enterprise didn't have to be responsible for making their their own um, profit, if you will, because the one particular division was had been historically so significant, and it collapsed, and the the it was so decimating. The CEO was involved. I mean, it was it was a really really horrific situation, and they brought me in because they truthfully needed to understand rapidly what was going on, and their their internal team had been giving some very um, trite answers to explain why the referrals had fallen off and and what was happening. And when we got in and went in and I did a full-blown, you know, we did tons of interviews, we looked at data, we, we bought different data to, to, to try and prove out that what the team had said was true. And what we discovered was that the team fundamentally did not understand what the significant drivers that were changing the way the business referrals were being done, the the, the pricing, it was impacting the volume of uh, services that could be purchased. And they were not the only one that were collapsing. All of their key competitors were as well. And it, I was so mad at, at the team for having focused on such basic answers to simple questions. They really needed to up their game. And so I wrote the bold questions series for my client because I was they needed to have their teams asking better questions. And as as that evolved, I was originally just going to do one book and because I tend to be a little bit of an overachiever um, and the issues are a little bit different depending on whether you're talking about strategy or decision making or your opportunities. We decided to do four of them. Okay. And, and so they're they're concise little 
content nuggets. So basically, if you think of a meme on one side and then a critical question to think about on the other side, and then the, and then I like to take action too. So it's that it's actions you'll take. And we did this deliberately so that intergenerational teams could begin to start discussing the issues and topics that matter for the businesses. Because most teams, a lot of them don't have deep critical thinking skills. And if you've got a team of emerging leaders that you need to start building to move them up in their thinking and thought processes to support their growth in within the organization, it turned out that these were the perfect tool for that because you can do it in small nuggets. And, and that's the other part of this is it needs to become the asking of questions needs to be built into the DNA and the culture of the organization. Because if you do, if everybody's always asking questions, you're going to be able to anticipate market shifts and changes more rapidly. You're going to be more agile in your thinking about how you could deploy new technology or new resources. It's the kind of, uh, uh, it's it's creating a new methodology, but they're small and simple. And so each book, you know, the, we have a generation now that often likes things in small bite-sized nuggets. So the meme, con- the meme length content allowed, uh, lent itself well to that, but then mm-hmm. the real power was asking the question and then you have the opportunity for dialogue so you can use them on your own you can use them with the team each book has 52 quote and question pairs uh, to work with and so we're finally um, almost ready to get that loaded up on my my business website because things exploded so much this year we just didn't have the time to, uh, <laughs> to mechanically get those up and oh like I, I know said, how I, that goes you well, haven't like written I said, two books client emergencies so you know, the client and client stuff comes first. But I also just locked yesterday on my new book, which is called Compounding Your Confidence, because one of the most significant leadership issues for most people is they don't have confidence in their um their, their skills, in their knowledge, in their decision-making, in any of it. And so I finally decided, I had done a keynote speech that people just loved because um, it was pretty frank, as you can kind of imagine. But we had them laughing and pulling the curtain back and really sharing stories. And, and that presentation is the foundation for the book. And so I pulled the curtain back even further. Compounding your confidence. So when does compounding your confidence become available? Well, as soon as my graphic designer gets the proof done. We are hoping by close to the end of the month um, to having it done. I have an audio CD that we made of the the live recording from the event um, that we've got available right now. So if anybody's interested, they should just go on our website um, in the contact page and just send an email that they want uh, or a message that they want to be alerted when the book is out. It it could be really soon. (laughs) It could be really soon. So just we'll do it here we'll do it at the end as well but what is the website that we should be going to if we do want to say oh tell me more sure um the website is www.j c is in cat s is in sam so for johnson consulting services jcs and then a hyphen and then usa.com so again uh jcs-usa.com so can you give us a short example of how would I, what does it look like if confidence is lacking? 
Well, honestly, confidence is always lacking if you're looking at a growth-oriented mindset because you're always in a in a somewhat unstable new turf arena, and it's learning how to navigate through insecurity, it's un- uncertainty, and and new situations and new environments. And so, I break it down in the book into really three key areas. One is uh, progressions. And, and how you move through skill development at every level. The second is practice and, and skills. Any skill, confidence is a skill. You have to practice it to be comfortable mm-hmm. with it. And then finally, it's presentation. It's how you speak, how you walk, how you showcase your intellect and knowledge, how you handle yourself in a meeting. And if you can put those three together, you have the possibility to be confident in any setting. And But it, it all is intersected between how you've progressed in your skill development, how you've practiced what you're working on, and then how you present it to the world. It's interesting because that progression piece, I think, can be the biggest Achilles heel for many of us. Mm-hmm. Because as we progress through our career, we get that illusion of confidence because, <laughs> oh, you're now a big wig in, you know, with a big fancy title and a key to the washroom or whatever the, the mm-hmm. symbol of status is. But also as we move through our career every day, is brand new. In fact, we're all winging it. But of course, many leaders who have many years of experience are so used to wearing a mask of invincibility, it can be hard to actually ask for help or accept help when it's needed or seek differing points of view. So how do you help people to see that they need to be paying attention to their confidence level, especially if they have progressed through their career and are at a senior level? Well, I think that, you know, again, that that for me becomes the determinant as to whether or not I can work with them as a client or not. You know, when Mm. I get when I'm intersecting with someone who's the know it all, when when I'm asking the the hard questions or I'm asking some questions that are trying to drive down deeper. And if they start giving me solely superficial answers or the my favorite are the dismissive. Well, we've already tried that. We've already tried that. We've already done that. We've already done that. They're not really listening to the question because. Because the question is going deeper than the superficial answer of, you know, did you do, uh, you know, a sales and marketing brochure? Or did you do a social media program? It's really drilling down to, you know, to what degree and understanding did you have of your target market? And did you match all the elements of your target market's decision making process to the components of how you were putting your sales processes mm, together? I like that totally different answer than than that. And, and so the 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 executives and and I deal with a lot of boards too and and a lot of times they're so frustrated because they instinctively know things aren't right and they know they're not getting the right answers, but they don't know enough about the questions to ask. (laughs) So it goes back to your first books, the first four, the bold questions. So give me an example, L, it stood for leadership effectiveness. (laughs) Give me an example of a bold question and maybe an action that that comes to mind for you then that would allow me to self-assess or discuss with my team my leadership effectiveness? Well, you know, I think just a sample from 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 the, the business strategy is um, clarity means seeing things as they really are and understanding what you need to do to change the course of events. And then the question is, what do you need to see and do to change the outcome of your situation? 
So it's a, it's deliberately designed to be an open-ended question. They're generic enough to apply to most situations. And, and as you start to drive in about how clear are we about what's really going on, that's when people start to admit things aren't clear. Oftentimes, Morik, I find when I'm on the phone or in a presentation or a private meeting where they're they're thinking about bringing me in, I have the ability. One one of the things that people laugh and say is is that one of my superpowers is that people tell me things that they wouldn't tell anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had that happen. That's yes, we have. Interesting, haven't we? And 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 because I listen so carefully to the words that people use, oftentimes I'm able to untangle and get to the heart of an issue, even in in an early call where they realize quite quite readily that I'm a little bit different than than what they may have been <laughs> expecting. You're a uh, leadership whisperer. Is something like a that. leadership whisperer. So one of our listeners actually has asked a question online in terms of how long does it take you to figure them out? Um, obviously, 30 <laughs> years of experience, um, you move quite quickly, but we often yeah. hear how first impressions can be misleading. So how long does it take you to figure someone out? Mm, you know, I, I, again, I mean, that's, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, hard question because, you know, every person and situation is different. Um, and it's different as if I'm reading them in person versus on the phone, um, because you have a lot more insight and cues when you're face to face with someone, you can see, are they moving their eyes? Are they looking away? Are they hesitating? Is there a micro expression? You know, those are all the pieces of things that I'm alert to as, as we're having the conversation. If it's on the phone, um, you know, then I'm having to rely on the voice and specifically how they respond or answer to the question or the comment that I've teed up for them to react to. And, you know, usually I can get a pretty good sense within an hour at the, at the longest. Sometimes I have a pretty good pretty good read on it within the first 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's for the high level part in terms of understanding all of the nuances of their, their situation. It, that can take, you know, weeks of work in grinding through and, and, and doing the detail, but you usually have a pretty good sense. And sometimes you can get them to reveal that they may be the only one who's ready to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had that happen before where um, I was hired by the board chair and the board of, of trustees of, a, of an organization down in Kansas. And when I got on the, and they signed it, signed the contract and everything. And then I got on the phone with uh, the CEO and after 10 minutes on the call, I said, look, I'm, we're going to end the call now. I need to talk to the board chair because what you think I'm going to do and what they've contracted for me to do are two completely different mm-hmm. things. I and like I, I called mm-hmm. the board chair and, and, and I, <laughs> I, I was you know sitting in my dog handler's house in Illinois at the time because we were on our way to a dog show. And, and I just said to the board chair, I, you know, here's my concern. I have three concerns based on my call with Bob. And 
one is I'm he wants a consultant that he can control, and that's clearly not yet. Two, I think the conflict between you and the 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 leadership team of the organization and the board is so toxic as to be almost impossible to penetrate. And there was some third component that I that I mentioned. Now this is based off of a 10-minute phone call with with the CEO. The board chairman starts to laugh and he said and he said, "We heard that you were really good at reading a situation." He said, "You've just proven it." Excellent. And, and so yeah. I had already nailed down exactly where the complete disconnects were. And um, and the funny part was, is that when and I have to walk a fine line as to how much I can reveal um, in terms of detail. But when, when I went in to do my final presentation and the CEO said, before you start, Jill, I I. I'm, I have an announcement and he stands up and he tenders his resignation. And I looked at him and I said, you know, Bob, you should have waited till my speech was done because then I, I spent the rest of my time excoriating both sides for the things that they had both been doing. The board had been crossing significant lines into interfering in operational processes and, and situations um, and, and whatever. And he just literally stared at me through the whole presentation, <laughs> totally dumbfounded because I had actually found the pathway for the them to come back together but he had just trendered his resignation so i love that example i love i love that example we're just about to go to break and so i think when we come back maybe we can spend some time looking at some of the mistakes you've seen leaders in business make and there's an example of a lack of communication speaking too soon by submitting a resignation Mm -hmm. Um, but let's explore some of those biggest mistakes and maybe some of the best business advice you've ever received okay you're listening to the future proof workplace radio show. My name's Morag Barrett, co-author of The Future Proof Workplace. And my guest this week is Jill Johnson, president and founder of Johnson Consulting Services. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll be exploring business mistakes and business advice. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with The Future Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thank you for staying with us. This is Morag Barrett. Linda is currently in London working with a major manufacturing company. But my guest this week is Jill Johnson, president and founder of Johnson Consulting Services, who's been sharing some of her more than 30 years experience as a management consultant. She's influenced four billion billion dollars, not billion billion, but four billion dollars worth of business decisions during her career and has a, is a two-time business Hall of Fame inductee. She knows her stuff. So, Jill, three mistakes. What are the, some of the three most common mistakes that you see leaders in business make that limit their success? 
I think there, I, this is a great, great question. I think the first is not paying enough attention to how much the marketplace is changing, mm-hmm. that assuming that things will just be the status quo will always be the status quo. I think the second is to, that they disregard the impact their competitors may have on altering customer views and their market opportunity. And ultimately, I think the third one that I see quite frequently is they don't hold their teams accountable for results. They hold their teams accountable for reports, but not results. Oh, so death by PowerPoint is what many of my clients (laughs) seem to suffer from. And let's spend three days reworking the PowerPoint deck and slides and so forth. Is that an example of what you talk about your meaning when we're not being held accountable for results? It's even, it's even, you know, they'll just send in a report with the, here's the monthly status of where we're at, whether it's occupancy or patients served or something else, but they don't take it a step further to acknowledge, my God, we've been trending down for the last 18 months and nobody's been looking at anything but month over month and those small incremental dribs and drabs and drops versus oh dear God, what's really happening now? And and so I think a lot of organizations miss the opportunity to, to solve their problems faster and without drama. Mm-hmm. And it almost is they have to wait until things are on the verge of collapse. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of organizations that are, you know, 30, 50, 100, 120-year-old enterprises that have had to learn how to, to be nimble. And I have a white paper on my website that's free for anybody who's interested in it. And, and it's an article that I've published that's, that's been appearing around. It's the theme of my next book, After Confidence, and it's called Enduring Enterprises, What Are the Eight Essential Strategies to Building a Business That Stands the Test of Time? And, and a lot of it is, is really built into that. But, but for the most part, they really just, they, they just put out information and there's no insight into I it. Hear you. Or we only spend time, if you're using a traffic light system, which many of our clients do, they only spend time looking at the red stuff, the things that are failing versus trying to understand why are some projects green and what's the story behind it. Exactly. But it's, it's interesting. Uh, companies that are enduring, you use that phrase, because I remember you know, Jim Collins, Good to Great, um, is often cited in his fabulous business book. But when you actually look at the companies that he cited back when that book was first published. Many of them have lost their shine or are no longer in business. And the Mm -hmm. Fortune 100 is the same in terms of the turnover of companies within it. So I think it's something that all business leaders are looking to do is how do we survive, whether I'm a one-person entrepreneur or a 10,000 or 100,000, 300-year-old company, as you've described, how do we make sure that we adapt to the needs of the 21st century? Well, I think I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, someday I'm going to write a book about market forces as well, because in almost every client that we work with, there are at least seven to nine external market forces that are really determining what is uh, the potential for the enterprise. And so it's things like the demographics, um, both in terms of their customers as well as in their employee potential pool. It's looking at generational differences and how. Now, um, 
the decision making is different in generations. The marketing is different. Uh, the work attitudes are different. All of those things come into play in an in an enterprise. Many organizations are significantly impacted by government whim. I mean, you are are one city council vote away from a new minimum wage requirement in one city, and then if you're doing business in another state, you have all sorts of different regulations and rules that you have to operate under. So the the increasing complexity of government in influence on mm-hmm. business opportunity is exceptionally significant. And we see that in, in industries, everything from, you know, nursery and landscaping businesses have five different state agencies that they have to report and, and be aware of the regulations for, much less the complexity of healthcare, which is the second most regulated industry behind nuclear power. So you have that. You have what's happening in the capital markets and your ability to access financing if you're looking for growth or or expansion. It's it's looking at all of these different components that impact what you can do, the the deployment of technology. And we're seeing that in many industries. Construction is one that I work in. And and the influence of the technology and and how that's being combined with uh, workforce limits um, and and there are things that can be done quicker, faster, and safer by use of technology and pre-manufactured uh, product that's used in, in building and construction. And so when you look at that, the deployment of drones for doing painting or surveillance uh, uh, and, and assessing uh, remoteless driving, all of those things have- These are examples. Exactly. Yeah, a huge example of how markets are changing. And Absolutely. when we're working with our clients, we're pointing out that every business is a digital business. Mm-hmm. And whilst we're in the midst of a digital transformation in the 21st century, it's the people transformation that we need to also be paying attention to. It's not just the digital interface, it's the human interface well, and that I will determine who, who survives and who does not. Well, and that's one of the things that I loved about your book, the the future proof work uh, workplace, is is that you and Linda really broke down. I, I thought some great pieces in the book. One, I'm I'm the queen of the questions, so I love that you had questions seated for reflection all mm-hmm. throughout the book. Oh, thank you. And and in particular, I really liked the section where you talked about are you learning agile mm. and. And organizations that survive or endure are organizations that have built that learning agility into the culture of the enterprise. And and I think it's one of the most powerful things that for any of the leaders that are that are listening and a bit overwhelmed at this at this moment in time, ask more questions, start engaging in deeper dialogue. If you do that, you've got team members. I talk to all sorts of people inside and outside of the organizations. I don't just talk to the top tier and have them tell me what's going on. I talk to the people who are the closest to the customer. I talk to the people who are closest to the service delivery because Mm -hmm. they see what is really happening. And I can't tell you, I mean, I'm not one that's really into the, um, the flavor of the moment, uh, type of shtick yes. that sometimes gets brought into companies because I deal with people, you know, when you talk to the front lines folk about it, you know, they they do the hairy eyeball roll and say, you know, we just, we parakeet what we need to to keep them at bay, but none of what they want us to provide is is really making a difference because they don't really want to know 
what it would be. And okay. it's that's like, great. Well, so asking more questions, the answer is out there is what you're saying. And if you're asking questions of all of your employees and listening to the responses, you can preempt some of these market changing uh, challenges that are the predictable surprises that might undermine success. Well, Jill, we're coming to the end of our time. So briefly, how can listeners learn more or get in touch with you? Well, they can uh, follow me on social media. I, I periodically post on Twitter at Jill Johnson USA. Uh, we have a Facebook page called Johnson Consulting Services. We're looking at setting up a Facebook Facebook group for the confidence book. So that'll be on Facebook, compounding your confidence. So we can actually interact with people and talk with them there. And the best way would be to reach me through the website, which is www.jcs-usa.com. Thanks, Jill. I really enjoyed our conversation today. And to everybody listening in, thank you for joining us. Make sure to join us next week for another engaging conversation. We're going to be exploring the future of education. And remember, the future of work is not tomorrow. The future of work is today. Are you ready? This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.